0: We read the Word of God tonight once again from the book of Ephesians. I don't know if it's bravery or experience that Makes a minister bold enough to preach on Pentecost, choosing a text from somewhere other than Acts chapter 2. But apparently, Reverend Marcus and myself have one or both of those boldness and experience to preach from Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. I do encourage you, though, if you haven't done that yet today, to read Acts chapter 2 as an individual or as a family. We'll read Ephesians chapter 1 tonight and consider as the text verses 13 and 14. We'll read those first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. And now we consider these verses tonight. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. As far as we read the word of God, may God bless the reading of his word. You've witnessed a National Memorial Day recently. Today is an ecclesiastical Memorial Day. That is a bit of a fancy way to say that today is a Memorial Day for the church. Now there are many reasons for a Memorial Day, but there are two main reasons. And if you think about the National Memorial Day, now I... Don't intend to spend too much time on this. It's not my intention to promote the National Memorial Day. But if you think about it, there are two main purposes of that day. One is to think about real events, actual events that happened in the past. So you look back at what happened in the past. And remember, especially now in the United States of America, the wars the battles that have been fought in the past, the soldiers who fought in those battles, especially the soldiers who gave their lives. Look back, remember those soldiers who died on the battlefield. That's the first purpose. Now secondly, standing here today or living here today We have to look back in the past and say, now what does this mean for us today? And maybe during the National Memorial Day, you heard something like this. Those battles in the past were fought to gain and to preserve the liberty, the freedom that we have in the United States of America. Men gave their lives so that you may have this freedom. So today, what you need to do is Defend that freedom. Hold on to that freedom. Live in that freedom. Thankful that those men gave their lives that you may have that liberty today. Well, today, we do those two things. As we commemorate what happened in the past. Thinking now not about soldiers who fought on behalf of the United States of America to gain earthly liberty for us, but thinking now about things that God has done through Jesus Christ in the past to give us spiritual salvation and liberty. And we think not just of one event, but we really have to think about a chain of events. Really, Pentecost is connected to Christmas. You go back to the birth of Jesus Christ God sending His Son into human flesh so that He would be like us in all things except sin. And then the next great event would be Good Friday, Jesus' death on the cross. There, the Son of God worked out our salvation taking away our guilt, earning for us righteousness so that we might have the right to the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So we remember Jesus' birth, we remember his death on the cross, and then three days later his resurrection from the dead. God raised him from the dead as the victor over sin and death. And then, now this becomes the important measuring point, the resurrection, 40 days later, the Ascension. And you remember not, well, not long ago, 10 days ago, we had on a Thursday night an Ascension Day service. Our Lord Jesus Christ in our flesh has entered into heaven not only to make the way open for us, but he's also sitting at the right hand of God so that you and I have the ability to say with great comfort and confidence, the one who is ruling over all things in the universe, ruling over the church, the world, everything, us, is our Redeemer and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then 10 days after that, but we go back not just to the ascension, but we go back 50 days. That's Pentecost. Penta. 50 days to the resurrection, the ascended Lord Jesus Christ poured his Spirit once for all upon his church. And so we remember going back to the past, those great events, especially now, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And then we ask the question what does that mean for us today? And what it means for us today is that we are filled. With the Holy Spirit. And we need to think about what that means for our lives as Christians. Now, Acts 2 uses that language of the pouring out of the Spirit with the result that the church and the individual members of the church are full. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. When we read Ephesians 1 in connection with Acts chapter 2, the text that we have tonight, and we read these words, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, we understand now this is the result of the pouring out of the Spirit. The members of the Ephesian church And now that's true for you and me tonight in the church of Christ as well, are sealed with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If you remember that, Paul is saying to the church, remember this, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, remembering that, consider what that means for your life tonight as a Christian. And so I call your attention to this text under the theme, Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Considering in the first place, the Spirit's presence. He's the seal. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we consider the Spirit's power and activity. Thirdly, we consider the Spirit's effect upon us. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. God has given the Holy Spirit to you and me to be a seal. Now the picture here that the Ephesian Christians would understand very well is one of a letter sealed in an envelope with a wax seal. And the point here that I want to underscore here is that when you think of a seal and its presence, that presence of a seal is not only important, it's reassuring, it's comforting. And I'm going to attempt to drive that point home that you and I have the amazing ability to confess the truth that it's the presence of the Spirit that seals us. The Holy Spirit is present with us. Now, for The Ephesian Christians and others, they understood the importance of that seal on an envelope. That seal could be the seal of a king. And he has sent me an important message. And I want to be able to say with confidence that this letter hasn't been tampered with. So that I can say, I know that the message of comfort or instruction came from the king and from no one else. You wouldn't want that letter to be tampered with by an enemy. You wouldn't want to think, now I don't really know if this is really what the king wants. What if I do this thing that the letter tells me to do, but it's, it's the opposite of what the king wants? Maybe it's not likely that any of us would receive a letter from a king, yet we have letters that come in envelopes with seals, not as often as maybe in the past. We use email today. But if you receive a letter, say, from a loved one, say it's a letter from a husband to his wife whom he loves, the wife would be comforted. She would say, this is good for me to know that this envelope is sealed. It hasn't been tampered with. My brother didn't get a hold of this letter. in maybe in some fun with me, change the message. I know this is a genuine letter of love from my husband. And you and I maybe take this for granted, but part of what I want you to understand is that we do have seals. We come into contact with seals often, and we take them for granted. Every card that you have in your wallet or in your purse probably has some kind of seal saying, this is an authentic, it's a real, genuine card. And maybe you take that for granted, but then when you think about it, if you are pulled over by a policeman, you want to be sure that the license you give to him is a real driver's license from the state of Michigan, and it has a seal saying, this isn't a fake, it's a real driver's license. Or when you take out a credit card, you're thankful when there is something on that credit card that authenticates, this is a real credit card, and it really can be used to make transactions. And almost everything you buy, especially in the grocery store, comes with a seal that maybe often you don't think about, but you do know is important. Not only to authenticate that these are real chips or these are real cookies that you want to buy, it's the real thing. Authenticating that product with that seal. But, but that seal also represents some safety, some preservation for you. What do you do when you open the bottle of milk and you hear the crack of the seal? You say, this is safe. But if that seal wasn't there, you notice it and you say, I'm not going to drink this. I'm going to take this back to the grocery store. And so the seal is of great importance to you and me. We live with it and don't often think of that, maybe take it for granted. But now... The Apostle Paul is saying, this is what God has done for you through his Holy Spirit. God, when he wants to set a seal on you and me to authenticate us as Christians, to protect us, to preserve us as Christians, doesn't use a stamp. He doesn't use a piece of plastic. He gives to us His own Holy Spirit, the person of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit given to the risen, ascended Jesus Christ, he pours that Spirit upon us and says, now here's my stamp, here's my seal upon you as a Christian. And that is a wonderful thing. The seal then is not this, faith, The forgiveness of sins, the right to eternal life, those are great heavenly blessings that God gives to us, but God doesn't simply give those things to us from a distance. Those are things that come to us by the Holy Spirit with whom God seals us. Think of how wonderful this is this way. I hope I'm not using too many pictures, but... I think this one fits. You have a husband and a wife, maybe a a newly married couple. Say it's a wedding ceremony. A man and a woman are being joined together in marriage. They love each other. And ideally, they would like to be with each other all the time, never be separated from each other. The husband's thinking is this. I love this woman and I want her to know my love at all times. And if I could, I would want to be with her. I'd want her to experience the warmth and the love of my presence. But that's not possible. So, what will I do? You know what he will do. I'll give her a ring. That even though we won't always be together, she will always have this ring on her finger as a symbol of my abiding love and constant faithfulness. This will authenticate it. My, my love is real, and my love is going to persevere. Now, there's something like that that God does for us as Christians. Only God says, this is not good enough for me to give you a piece of metal, a piece of jewelry, or some other thing as a symbol, as a sign to you of my love, but I'm going to give you me. And so that's the wonder of what happens to a Christian is that when God says, I'm going to take up my residence with you, I'm going to do so in such a way that I'm with you all the time. And this is the beauty of the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. Maybe, I don't know what sermon was preached here Thursday night, but maybe you recall that the disciples were not so thrilled about Jesus going bodily, Heaven. He's leaving us. He's going away from us. But then Jesus said, now you stay in Jerusalem and not many days hence. I'm going to give you the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now Paul is saying, this is what's happened in Pentecost. The Holy Spirit of promise has been poured on you by God so that now you can take 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and say, God says, you are the temple of God. Church, member of the church, you are the house of God, for the Spirit of God dwells in you. So that God is personally present with us, God the Holy Spirit, as the seal of our salvation and participation in Jesus Christ. This seal is important. The Apostle Paul is saying here, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, then you don't have faith, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. But if you have the Holy Spirit, then you have the proof, the authentication. You are a believer, a Christian, one who belongs to God through Jesus Christ. And then if you think about the beauty of this, The Apostle Paul is speaking here of a seal that is never missing. It's never lost. It's never broken so that it's done away with. That's what happens sometimes with earthly seals. You open it. You break it. There's no more seal. Even a wedding ring can be lost. Can be broken. My first wedding band did not Survive repairing pallets while I was a seminary student. But what God gives us in the Holy Spirit is this I guarantee, I set a seal on you that guarantees that I will be with you and that you will be mine. You will be a Christian forever. It is true. That by our sins, we may grieve the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul speaks of that in Ephesians chapter 5. It's also true that by our sins, when we stubbornly walk impenitently in the way of sin, we can lose a sense of the Spirit's presence. But that doesn't mean the Spirit ever goes away. He never does. So with me tonight, let's celebrate this reality In the first place, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then God has come to you personally to dwell with you, to seal you with His Holy Spirit. And so the seal is not what the Spirit does, but the Spirit Himself. But now, having considered that, that the Spirit is the seal that God sets upon us when His Spirit dwells in us. Then the question is, what does the Spirit do? When he comes to us, he dwells in us and seals us as believers. What does the Spirit do? And verse 13 explains that. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise." You believe the word of truth. The word written in the scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The word preached through the gospel, the good news of your salvation. The apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus as the missionary who preached the word to the people in Ephesus so that through him God established that congregation so he can speak to them I know when you heard the word of truth. I know when you heard the gospel of your salvation. And then after that, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of his promise. Now, how do we explain all of this? There are some who, in explaining the work of of the Holy Spirit and how someone becomes a Christian, will say something like this. There are two phases to becoming a Christian. Phase one is that you believe. You, you give an expression of your faith. You assent to the truth of the word of God and of the gospel. And then later on sometime, you will be baptized with, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then that's phase two of being a Christian. Now, we don't agree with that. That's not the teaching of the scripture. And I hope you understand the danger of that teaching that teaching leads to the thinking that there are two kinds of Christians in the church. Those who merely have this faith but are only phase one Christians, and then those who have been filled with the Spirit and become the phase two, the, the upper tier Christians in the church. What we have here in the verse, though, is not that that there are two phases to becoming a Christian. It is true that the Apostle is teaching that this is the way that you went from unbelief to faith, from being an unsaved person to being a true Christian, saved in Jesus Christ. You couldn't be saved without hearing the gospel. You couldn't be saved without hearing a preacher. The truth had to be declared to you. And if you remained in unbelief, you can't be saved that way. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ. You must say, I'm not going to trust in myself or anyone else. I'm going to put all my trust in Jesus Christ. There is a time when you become a Christian that you even make a choice. I choose to forsake sin, to confess my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I choose to believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Now the question is, what power accounts for that? By what power do you become a believer and a Christian? And what the Apostle Paul is explaining here is not a two-stage thing that happens. But when at the end of the verse he says, "You were sealed by that with that Holy Spirit of promise," he is saying, "This is the power." By which this happened. In your own power, you're an unbeliever. You'll remain an unbeliever. You will not embrace the truth of God's word. You will not embrace the gospel message of salvation for sinners. You believe, you hold for true what God has revealed in His word. The apostles saying, this is by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is something that every Christian comes to realize eventually. Maybe initially, someone who hears the preaching of the word on a mission field, as the members of the church in Ephesus, might think, I heard that, and this is what happened. I believed, and I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. But then, upon reflection, Thinking about the Word of God and the reality of salvation, every Christian has to come to the realization, this wasn't because of anything in me, it wasn't because of my own power, but it was because of the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ working in me. And the beauty of this then is, what the Apostle Paul is teaching is that this is true of every Christian. If you are a believer, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter if you're the Apostle Paul or an ordinary member of the church. It doesn't matter if you're an older member of the church or a younger member of the church. You are a Christian and everything that the Apostle Paul has to say about Christians applies to you. You are sealed with the Spirit. God is your Father. You have been sealed with the Spirit. God has from all eternity predestinated you, chosen you unto salvation. You have been sealed with the Spirit. Then you have redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been sealed with the Spirit. Then you are fully a son or a daughter of God. So the Spirit comes upon us and... Saves us. Attaches us to Christ. Makes us Christians. Secondly, we see the power of the Spirit in verse 14. Where the Apostle speaks of this, the Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. As the seal, the Holy Spirit works as an earnest. Now generally, an earnest is something you have now, in the present. That guarantees in the future, you're not only going to have what you have now, but more. The biblical way to think of it is this. Now you have a portion. In the future, you're not only going to have more, but you're going to have the fullness. This is not the best illustration, but it helps to make the point, I believe, if in your email you receive a coupon for some store, Best Buy, something like that, You have a coupon in your hand. You can print it off if you want or leave it on your phone. That guarantees that when you go to the store, you're going to be able to purchase that item at a discount. It guarantees that you can do something in the future. Now, another way to illustrate that is to think about a young couple buying a house. When they put the bid in and it's accepted by a realtor, they have to put down a down payment. And when that happens, the down payment does not immediately give them full possession of the house. But that down payment is the earnest, something that is put down now that gives to that couple the ability to say, we know that in the future we're going to have full possession of this house earnest but maybe the best illustration that I've used a number of times in the faith congregation is this in the morning before children go to school, I know school's over now before the husband goes off to work maybe the wife and mother is preparing a meal that takes all day to cook. Maybe at some point during the day, there was an opportunity to have a taste of what's going to be the meal later on in the evening. And now what's good about this illustration is, it's not something that merely is a piece of paper in your hand and says, now in the future you're going to have something better, but it's something that you can experience now. You can smell that food. It has the same smell it's going to have later. It has the same taste it's going to have later. You can digest it. You can enjoy experiencing that taste. And then think this. This is a guarantee to me that I can look forward to tonight not only having a taste, but having a plate full of this wonderful meal. That's the Holy Spirit as an earnest. The Holy Spirit comes to us and gives to us the the same salvation, the same benefits, the same life that we're going to have in heaven. Only what the Apostle Paul is acknowledging here is right now, you only have a little bit, a foretaste of our inheritance Until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The fullness is going to come in heaven. In heaven is when you're going to enjoy the full reality that you are in God's covenant. That you are God's friend. That God is your father. In heaven you're going to enjoy the full reality of redemption from sin. Liberation from sin. You're not going to have any sin anymore. But being sealed by the Spirit, the Apostle is saying to the church in Ephesus and to you and me tonight, you already have it now. You have in taste and experience the reality of salvation now, and that's a guarantee to you. You can say, as I, if I can use that picture yet, now have a spoonful or a forkful of the beauty of salvation, there is going to come a day where the Lord in heaven is not just going to give me a plate, but he's going to prepare a table before me. And I think of my grandpa who lived through the Depression and we talk about sometimes you only got a handful. And he looked forward to the times when you get two hands full. And the apostle is saying that little taste that you get now assures you that in heaven you're going to be able to take two handfuls of the blessings of God. And they'll never run out. And they will always satisfy you in glory. So, as members of the Church of Christ, we celebrate today that we have the presence of God Himself in His Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to save us, the power of the Holy Spirit to preserve us until we receive the fullness of what we already experience in salvation through Jesus Christ. Then we ask the question what is the effect of this? Two things. I've already touched on this, but first of all, isn't it obvious that the Apostle Paul is saying, this is for your comfort. If you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you have been given salvation by the power of the Spirit, you're guaranteed to have salvation in eternity in heaven, this is for your comfort. And now this is for your calling to live in holiness. Holiness call your attention there to verse 3 rather verse 4 which tells us that God has chosen us in Jesus Christ in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love and that word holiness refers to being set apart and that's for our comfort and for our calling Last illustration, I promise. In the faith congregation, I found that there are young men who are more commonly doing what I thought was kind of falling by the wayside, but what I did as a young boy collecting sports cards. And many of those sports cards are worthless, they can go in a box. Those of you who are older may remember having collections of sports cards in a Velveeta box. It was just the right size. Those are the cards that you don't mind people looking through. Those are the cards that you don't mind if someone bends them or creases them. But if you have a special card that's special to you, it's valuable to you, you seal it up. You put it in a piece of plastic. And if you are fortunate enough to have many of those special cards, you even have an album where you seal up those cards. Those are special cards. Now the truth, and this is sobering, is that the Lord does not save every single human being. There are many that the Lord does not seal with his spirit. He does not redeem through Christ. He's going to cast them away, as has happened to many of the worthless sports cards that I Collected. But what the Apostle Paul is saying now, the Lord has set his seal on you. You are special to him, not now because of what you have done. That's where that illustration fails. Why do you put a sports card aside and say, this one is special and of value to me? It's because of the accomplishments of that man, say, in baseball. He has a high batting average. He's hit many home runs. He has done enough for me to say, I treasure this card. The Lord doesn't do that to you and me. He doesn't say, I see in you something that makes you worthy of my love. You you have done enough for me to set you aside and say you're valuable to me. No. It's because I chose you in love and because I have redeemed you through jesus christ because of what he has done you are set aside forever there's comfort i've sealed you and set you apart by my spirit but now having set you apart i own you i own you that's what a seal indicates often ownership you belong to me You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the devil. You don't belong to you. You don't belong to sinful flesh. You belong to me. You belong to my church. You belong to the body of Christ. And I have set you apart that you may give evidence of that by living a holy life. On that day of Pentecost, you can read this in Acts chapter 2. God poured out His Spirit, and there was a great effect that was visible in the 120 disciples. They were able to speak different languages and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to many different kinds of people. You and I by the Spirit of Christ, are not given the ability to speak in tongues in other languages, and yet there is a sign there for you and me that when God pours His Spirit upon us and seals us by His Spirit, it's going to have an effect that's going to be seen in our lives. And the Apostle is saying to the Ephesian Christians, this is true for you, and this is true for the New Testament church in every age. You will not walk After the flesh in sin. But you will walk in the Spirit. And the new liberty that you have in Jesus Christ. In holiness. And if you want a list you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. You being sealed by the Spirit are not to do the works of the flesh. Which are these the Apostle says. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. What are you to do? Sealed with the Spirit, you know. Produce the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, joy peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This is why we look back to what God has done through Christ, especially in pouring out His Spirit upon us to seal us with the Spirit, to be able to say today, now, I must live by the Spirit, in holiness before God. May God make it so. Amen. Father in heaven, we remember the outpouring of thy Spirit, the presence of thy Spirit, the power of thy Spirit, and the comfort and the calling that we receive from thee. Lord, by Thy Spirit, strengthen our faith and cause us to grow in holiness, that we may give evidence that we are sealed by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray, amen.